So last week, we ended our time by talking about this idea of, of covenant. You may remember that a, a covenant is an agreement. More than that, it's a, it's a commitment between two parties, like, like two people maybe, or between a king and, and, and his people, something like that. The agreement spells out stipulations, that is, promises and responsibilities. These are my responsibilities. These are yours. I promise to do this. You promise to do that. And usually within the covenant, there, there are consequences for both breaking and, and keeping it. Now, when we think about a covenant in the modern sense, we might think, you perhaps think, of the marriage covenant. An agreement between two people to be committed to each other, to love, honor, and cherish till death do us part. Well, as I thought about that, I thought, wait a minute. I have officiated lots of wedding ceremonies, like over 150. Uh, I, I sort of serve as the mediator between two people, a man and a woman, by the way, who commit before God, before me as the officiant, the mediator, and the witnesses to, to, to fulfill certain promises and responsibilities. It's kind of cool. Wow. There are even wedding vows and ring vows by which the promises are made. What? There's even a sign of the covenant. We, we, we celebrated a sign of the new covenant this morning. In baptism, there's even a sign of the covenant. We call it the ring. It's a symbol to everyone. I belong to her. She belongs to me. We've made a mutual covenant. It got me to thinking about the last wedding I did that, that I mediated right here in this room three weeks ago yesterday. Nathaniel and Audrey Mikola. Nathaniel and Audrey are here this morning. Why don't you stand up? Come on, let everybody congratulate you. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a sweet wedding. It's a big wedding. Many of you are here. They committed to the traditional wedding vows. Go like this. I went ahead and just used Nathaniel's. Nathaniel, do you, I'm asking him, do you take this woman whose hand you now hold to be your wedded wife? Do you solemnly promise? See, it's a covenant with provisions. Do you solemnly promise before God and these witnesses that you will love, honor, and cherish her and that forsaking all others for her alone, you will faithfully perform to her all the duties which your husband owns to a wife so long as you both shall live. And I listened and he said it. He said the words, I do. I commit to the covenant. Then I went through it and she said the same thing. I do. Well, all that brought us to the ring vows. Jeremy, that's the best man. That's Nathaniel's older brother. We'll need, we'll, we'll need Audrey's ring. And so he gave me Audrey's ring, symbol of their covenant. Talked about that, momentarily held it up and promptly dropped it. I dropped the ring. Now, I have done lots of weddings. I, I, have never, I have never done that before. No big deal, right? I mean, just bend over. I'm standing about right here, right between a nice, pretty arch, flowers. Drop the ring. Just bend over and pick it up, right? It was a bit like slow motion. 
the ring hit the ground and began to roll. I had the presence of mind not to try and stop it with my foot. I'm not kidding. Went through my mind. Leave it. Let it go. Began to roll. And it rolled over. This platform is made up of four by eight sections. And it rolled right over to this crack. And, and then it did a little loop-de-loop and then dropped down <laughs> and disappeared R- right there. I was horrified. What, what do you do? Fortunately, Nathaniel and Audrey were not horrified. They were very kind. So I said, Nathaniel, take the ring that you don't have for Audrey. (laughs) Place it at her ring finger and repeat after me. I, Nathaniel, take you, Audrey, to to be my wedded wife. And it goes on and on, and he said everything just right. It ends with this line. And with this ring, I pledge to you my faithfulness. And so I said, and with this ring under the platform... (laughs) I pledge to you my faithful, and Nathaniel, being the very kind man that he is, repeated all of that. (laughs) And some of you right now are thinking of one of two things. You're thinking, I'm glad we're already married. (laughs) Or you're thinking, who can we get? (laughs) And there's another couple that's getting married three weeks from yesterday. And right now they're sitting there thinking, Who can we get on such short notice? (laughs) Michael will be back August 6th. I dropped the ring. The symbol of the covenant. I'm the mediator, you see. And I dropped the ring. Got me to thinking about the old covenant that we have been talking about in our study of Hebrews. You see, the old covenant was also an agreement, a commitment between God and his people. He had delivered them from Egypt, he brought them all the way safely to Mount Sinai. There at the top of the mountain, God gave them through Moses, a mediator, if you will the provisions of the covenant. Here's the law. Now keep it. Oh, and and when you break it, here's also the sacrificial system by which you can find forgiveness. And so in the future, the mediators of that old covenant we've seen were the Levitical priests embodied in the high priest who would act as a go-between, a mediator between God and his people. And so right before Moses went up to the mountain, he's right at the base of the mountain, and we read these words in Exodus 19. Moses went up to God. It's not quite at the top yet. He went up to God. Lord called to him from the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Remember the 10 plagues? You saw it a few days ago. How I bore you on eagle's wings and I, and I brought you to myself. That's the point. 
Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. That's, that's what the Bible is all about, you see, about God having a people for himself. It shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Remember those words. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. And so Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded them. Now listen. Do you take this God? And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. They said, yes. They said it. I heard them say it, God. They said, I do. And they committed to the covenant that Moses was about to get as he went up to the mountain. So God called Moses up and and gave him the law, summed up in the Ten Commandments. Don't miss this. Written on tablets of stone. Moses came back down and told the people all the words that God had given him. And we read the response of the people, important chapter, Exodus 24. All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. We do. (laughs) We're in. And so they offered some burnt offerings and peace offerings. And Moses took the book of the covenant that he had at that point and read it to the people. And and they replied, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. We're in. Exodus 24, verse 8 says, So Moses took the blood from those sacrifices and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. The, The stipulations of the covenant, you see, were agreed upon. They entered a mutual covenant, God and his people. And they lived happily ever after. Till death do us part. So then God called Moses back up to the mountain for 40 days. He gave, uh, he gave Moses further stipulations of the covenant, the plans for the tabernacle. He'd meet with them through the mediators. The, the priesthood, you see, the, the sacrifices. And while he was gone, 40 days. Exodus 32, the people who had committed to follow God, we do, said to Aaron, the first high priest, build a golden calf. He did. Behold, the God who, it's a hunk of metal. Behold the God who delivered you from, who brought you out of Egypt. Don't, Don't miss this. Aaron said, give me your earrings. And he, and he dropped the rings into the fire. Fashioned a golden calf. Aaron, the mediator, high priest, dropped the rings. All that the Lord has said, we will do. I do, they had said it. And the covenant didn't last for a month. 
go back now to that modern marriage covenant. I promise to love, honor, and cherish you till death do us part. And most, I suspect, keep their fingers crossed during that time. After all, most states today offer what is called a no-fault divorce. There are no-fault divorces. It means you don't have to establish blame or fault. Just cut the knot. Don't have to establish fault. You want to know why? Because everyone is at fault. No such thing as a perfect marriage where you love, honor, and cherish every day of your life. Just cut the knot. Well, we know by now there were lots of problems with the law and, in fact, the entire old covenant. Oh, not because there was anything wrong with the covenant. It was, after all, God's covenant. No, 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 no the problem was with the, not with God, but the other side of the covenant makers. The people were covenant breakers. They couldn't keep the law. They broke it over and over. And, and, and not just them. You see, the mediators, the, the priests, to include the high priest, dropped it over and over, broke it over and over. And so on the Day of Atonement, he would offer sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. But I want you to understand, the problem was not just that they broke the law and thereby broke the covenant, as true as that was. No, you see, God had provided through the sacrificial system the means of forgiving grace. But the Israelites couldn't even do that. What do I mean? Over and over, read the Old Testament. Over and over through the Old Testament, not only did they break the law, they turned from the God who could forgive them and worshiped other gods. They were unfaithful to the covenant they had made with the Lord. We do. Liars. What was the problem? They were both, un they were unable both to keep the laws of the covenant and to even keep the provision for finding forgive, forgiving grace within the covenantal sacrificial system. Listen, the whole thing was bankrupt. The people, the, the mediators, that is the priests, the sacrifices, all because of the unfaithfulness of the people. They were unable within themselves to keep any part of the covenant. Over and over, read it. Over and over, God said, I will be your people uh, excuse me, I will be your God and you will be my people. And over and over, they weren't his people. This covenant could not be kept because it was external. It's written on tablets of stone. It did not spring from the hearts of the people. We do, fingers crossed. All that the Lord has said we will do, and they didn't. Covenant lasted less than a month. So, a new covenant was needed. 
God had taken them by the hand, led them out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of captivity. He led them to the land of promise, to himself, that's the point. He made a covenant with them, one which they continually broke for centuries. So he said, I delivered you, made a covenant with you that you keep breaking, so I'm sending you back into captivity. Northern kingdom, Israel, to the Assyrians, southern kingdom, Judah, to the Babylonians. He sent prophet after prophet. Think marriage counselor. Prophet after prophet to them, and they would not listen. One of the prophets was a guy named Jeremiah who warned Judah of the pending Babylonian captivity. It's here. You're going. But in the midst of those warnings came a promise, a new promise of a new covenant. Since this one did not work because of the weakness of your flesh, God says, I will make a new covenant with you. Jeremiah chapter 31, which our author quotes in Hebrews chapter 8, is the longest quote of the Old Testament in the New Testament. Look at it with me. Hebrews 8, we'll start reading in verse 7. For if that first covenant, the old covenant, had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second one. But, but for finding fault with them, He, that is God, says, behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand. Notice the gentle parental care. I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. But they did not continue in my covenant. So, I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's the point. They shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying, know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. In verse 12, for I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Thank God for Hebrews eight twelve. When he said a a new covenant, he made the first obsolete. For whatever is becoming obsolete is growing old, uh, and growing old is ready to disappear. That could be translated, whatever is growing old is ready to be destroyed. So we remember the primary purpose for the writing of this book called Hebrews, facing persecution, these Jewish readers were considering quitting Christianity, 
quitting the new covenant and returning to Judaism that is the old covenant. And the author here reminds them the old covenant did not work. If, if, it, if it had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second one, a second new covenant. But since there is a new covenant, the old one is obsolete, growing old, about to disappear. So, so here's the point. You can't go back. There's nothing to go back to. You see, back in verse 6 of Hebrews 8, the author had said, but now he, that is Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry, that is the ministry of being our great high priest, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promise. That word enacted carries with it the idea, it's, a, it's an unusual word. It speaks of not only did he make the covenant, but he will carry it on to its completion since we kept messing the other one up. So what are the promises of the new covenant that make this better? Let's look at the outline. First and third point, same point. They serve as bookends to this text. Verse, verse eight, verses eight and nine, the need for a new covenant. Verse, verse 13, need for a new covenant, which sandwiched in between those is where we're gonna focus our time, the promises of the new covenant. Let's look briefly at verses eight and nine for finding fault with them. Who is them? The party to, to the old covenant that kept breaking it. That wasn't God. It was the people, the Israelites. They said, I do, but they didn't. So God, so finding fault with them, not the law, not the covenant, nothing wrong with the covenant. God says, behold, days are coming when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel, northern kingdom, the house of Judah, southern kingdom, because there was fault with the old covenant because of them. We remember Romans chapter 8 for what the law could not do because it was weak through our flesh. It couldn't couldn't justify anybody. It couldn't make anybody right. So God did it, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Don't miss that. He took on flesh. He looked like the rest of us. It was a likeness of flesh. He had flesh, but it was perfect flesh. As an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So the law was weak because of us. We were weak, miserable sinners. So God did it, stepped in, met the demands of the law by sending his own son in the likeness of flesh. Again, he wasn't sinful, but he took on flesh, which for everyone else was sinful, and became an offering for our sinfulness, thus condemning our sin in his flesh. We We couldn't do that, so God did. Days are coming. Those days came with Jesus when he brought the new covenant. When I will, don't miss first person singular pronoun throughout. I will affect a new covenant. It's not going to be like the old covenant made with their fathers. When I took them by the hand, let them out of Egypt. Because you see, even though they said I do, lied. They did not continue in my covenant. They broke it over and over. And so I did not care for them. That's a little bit harsh. The idea is 
They broke the covenant, so I turned my back on them and sent them again into captivity. I no longer cared for them in the land. That's hard, but to be clear, I'm not done with them. For I will bring them back from captivity and I will make a new covenant with new promises. What is the, what is the primary difference between the old covenant promises and the new covenant promises? The old covenant was in a sense external, written on tablets of stone. Here are stipulations, people, now keep it. And they had nothing internal by which they could. They couldn't comply with the law. They couldn't even comply with the grace available by which to find forgiveness through the sacrificial system. It kept turning from it. So then God promised and brought through Jesus a new covenant, better promises that, listen, would change everything. First, we, we couldn't do it because despite our best efforts to say, I do, we didn't and we couldn't. So he stepped in and did it. All of it. The new covenant is God stepping in and providing the perfect mediator through his son, the perfect sacrifice through his son, and the perfect promises through his son. What are those promises? Threefold. Verses 10 to 12. First, God is going to put his law within, not without. He will put them in their minds and write them on their hearts. Oh, okay, I get it. So, so that means now we'll be able to keep the Ten Commandments and be saved. No, that's not the, that's not the point. The, the Ten Commandments still have their job of exposing our sinfulness and showing us to be sinners. But now God's going to write his new law on our minds and hearts, giving us an, listen, this is it, this is it, giving us an internal and internal delight to keep his good, glorious, moral law. But, but there's something else that had to happen first. You see, we're dead. Dead in trespasses and sin. Our hearts were dead. Yes, the law had done its work, exposed our sin, and showed us to be sinners. But it did not save us. Still dead. No, we needed a new heart by which we can love God and love his law. So he promised to give us a new heart. It's spelled out clearly in Ezekiel chapter 36. It's a great text. I will vindicate or I will defend the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. How was it profaned? Which you, people, have profaned in their midst. You named me as your God. You said, Yahweh, Yahweh, he's our God. If he can't do it, no one can. And you didn't follow me. And I, I sent you into captivity. And they're going, where's your God? The nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. How's he going to do that? For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all of the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all of your idols. Moreover, here it is. 
I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone. Remember those tablets of stone? I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my Holy Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. It's what Jeremiah means. It's what the author of Hebrews means when he quotes Jeremiah. I will put my law into your mind and into your hearts, a new heart by which you will keep all my good law. Listen, this is critical not to be saved, but because you have been saved. You see, all along the law and even the sacrifices, all part of the old covenant, which required God's people to keep the law and find forgiveness when they broke the law, all of that was was simply to show the people they couldn't. You can't do it. You need another covenant. They needed a new covenant. They needed new promises. They needed a new heart. We call this regeneration. They were dead. They needed to be made alive. They needed the Holy Spirit living within them to give them new desires and a new ability but by his presence to keep God's good laws. Again, not to be saved, but because we have been saved, we, we love him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my command. That's the motivation you see. Because we love him. And we remember the first and second commandments. Asked Jesus one day, it's the first commandment. He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second, just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. See, when we love God and we love people with this new heart, we have a new desire to obey. Now, to be clear, the law we obey is the law of Christ. The old law, the Old Testament law, had done its work in breaking us and driving us to Christ. But now the law of Christ is written on our hearts and we have the Holy Spirit by whom we can obey. How is the, how is the law of Christ different from the Old Testament law? Simply this, don't miss this, simply this. We now obey God's moral law as a result of salvation with new heart, new desires, and new motivation to to obey God from a heart of love for God. You see, it's no longer this external mandate. It is now internal motivation. It's love. Paul said it this way in Romans 13. The law is fulfilled in our love for God and for others. You see, because we love God, we, we won't have other gods bef- bef- before him. We won't bow down to idols like golden calves. We won't take his name in vain. And because we love people as ourselves, we won't lie to them, steal from them, kill them, commit adultery with them, covet what they have. Do you see the love of Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit fulfills the good law of God through Christ because we are new creatures. New command I give to you that you love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples by your love, you see. It's a new motivation. And as a result, look at the end of verse 10. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's the point. It's been God's intent all along from Genesis to Revelation to have a people for himself. 
And under the provisions of the new covenant brought about by the work of Christ, those people today come in New Testament times, come not just from the house of Judah and the house of Israel, they come from, the rest of the New Testament says from every tribe and tongue and kindred and nation. God is our God. We are his people. Second promise found in verse 11. I must go quickly. The promise is all those under the new covenant will know God personally. (laughs) I know we just kind of buzz right through that. This is an incredible promise. You see, before under the old covenant, you had to go through a mediator. However imperfect that mediator was, dropping rings everywhere. But now under the new covenant, two things guarantee that you would know God personally. First, he sent his own son, God in the flesh, to be our mediator. We no longer have to approach God through an imperfect human mediator. That's why we as Protestants are so opposed to priests. You are a priest. And you go through your great high priest who is your mediator. We are approaching God through a perfect mediator who is both God and the perfect man. Second, he placed his very Holy Spirit within us by whom we can know God. Paul poses an important question in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Who really knows a man? Who really knows you except the spirit of you that is in you? So also, who really knows God except for God's spirit within him? And you can't know God. Ha! But, he says, we have received the spirit of God by which we can freely know the things of God. This is amazing. I want you to understand, in the Old Covenant, that's the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come on people for a certain time for a certain task. And it was truly amazing. God come on Samson, pick up a jawbone of a, and then beat the out of people. Big deal. That's nothing. Holy Spirit, come on Samson for a little time and then go away. Under the new covenant, the Holy Spirit indwells his people. God has ensured that we will be his people by sending his own son and giving us his own spirit. And through the work of Christ, we have been made alive in Christ, sealed by the spirit, adopted in the family of God, by which we call God Father. And so comes the fulfillment of the promise, I will be their God. That's the point of the Bible, and they will be my people. Right out of 1 Peter chapter 2. This might sound familiar. I told you to remember these words. For you are a chosen race. When it's in capital letters, it's not that he's screaming at you. It's a, it's a, it's a quote from the Old Testament. Right out of Exodus 19, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Because Christ brings us to our third promise. How is it that God can make us miserable wretches his people? How can he, how can he do that? Because the third promise is this. He will be merciful to our iniquities and remember our sins no more. This was the point of the sacrificial system. 
Yes, they would break the law. So in giving the old covenant, God provided a means of forgiving grace. But even in that, the people walked away from God because they were unable to even believe the promises of God. So they turned regularly to other gods and other idols. This isn't working, weak people. So now, having stepped in and given us a new heart, placing his own spirit within us, we can find saving, forgiving grace through the atonement of Jesus. Again, this is the work of regeneration. We've been made alive in Christ, sins forgiven, removed, remembered no more. Grace, remember these definitions. Grace is getting what we do not deserve, namely God's love and forgiveness. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve, namely God's wrath and judgment. How? Because he extends mercy to those who believe through the finished work of Christ. Four final thoughts and then I'm done. First, the word mercy is related to the word mercy seat that we've already talked about. Remember that? The lid on the Ark of the Covenant was called what? The mercy seat. Why? Because when the blood was sprinkled there, it acted as a barrier between the presence of God, between the cherubim above, and the broken law in the box below. But that blood we've seen, could never take away sin forever. It would take the blood of his own son offered in the true tabernacle, remember? The true tabernacle in heaven that would provide atonement and mercy forever. Second, when Moses instituted the old covenant, that is when he communicated the stipulations of the old covenant, all the people said, we'll do it. I, I do. Then Moses took the blood of the covenant and sprinkled it on the people. When Jesus instituted the new covenant, he did so with a symbol of the Lord's Supper or communion. And we read these absolutely incredible words in Matthew chapter 26. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. Luke says, my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. This would have been shocking to his disciples. They knew Exodus 24. Everybody knew Exodus 24. It's blood of the, my blood of the new covenant. Third, remember the point of all of this is so that God would be our God and we would be his people. That's the point of the Bible. The, 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 the final consummation of this new covenant promise is yet to be fully realized. It's coming in the future. But my brothers and sisters, I want you to listen to these words, this promise at the very end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21. See if God does not just tie this all together. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride. That's the people in the New Jerusalem adorned for her husband, that is Christ. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold the tavern. That's what we've been talking about. The tent of God, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. That is, he will be their God. That's the point of the Bible. That's what heaven is all about. 
That's what the new Jerusalem is all about. God's going to be our God. We're going to be his people. Yes, we already are, but in the fullness of his presence. He's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's no longer any death or mourning, crying, pain. First things have passed away. He who sits on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Hallelujah. Because we've made a wreck of the old things. And he said, write for these things, words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it's done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one, listen carefully. I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs, from the spring of the water of life without cost. How can you get eternal life without cost? Because he paid it all. He who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. Fourth, finally, since the new covenant is instituted by God, all of the stipulations met by God, the new covenant, unlike the old covenant, cannot be broken. Do you see? He said through this entire passage, I've referenced this earlier, I will affect, I will make, I will put, I will write, I will be, I will be merciful, I will remember their sins no more. Here's my question for you. What do you do in the new covenant? You simply receive. That's a pretty good deal. God will keep his side of the covenant because he is God. He never lies. And what he has committed, he will do. And we will therefore be finally and eternally saved. Let's stand for prayer. Father, this is, this is unbelievable. The way that you... I'm seeing it more and more in in, in the book of, of Hebrews, the way that you tie together from Genesis to Revelation, everything. It's all intentional. Your revelation was progressive. You revealed more and more until you finally revealed yourself perfectly and ultimately in the person of your son. And now you are gathering a people from every tongue, tribe, kindred, and nation, a people for yourself, for whom you will be their God and they will be your people. We thank you for what you have done. May we be overwhelmed by the unity of the scripture, by its self-revelation of a great and glorious God. May we be overwhelmed. May we be motivated by love to fulfill the law of Christ. In his name we pray, amen.